0: We are uh, continuing our study through the Psalms. And um, we're going to get off of the, uh, the Maskell Psalms for uh, for a few Sundays. Um, this Sunday we're going to be in Psalm chapter 65. And um, and then we're going to go through Advent through the Psalms as well. So I'm probably going to pull off of the Maskell Psalms through Advent as well. Uh, but for, um, for a good reason. So Psalm 65. When you get there, if you would, um, I know you've already stood so many times, but do it if you would, just stand one more time. If you have the means and you're able, if you need to remain seated, it's fine. But we like to stand just as a way to give reverence to uh, the living and powerful Word of God. Psalm 65. We'll read the whole psalm and then you can be seated. Beginning in verse 1, it says this, Praise is due to you, O God. In Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and you bring near to dwell in your courts. And we shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house and the holiness of your temple. And by awesome deeds You answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth, and even of the farthest seas, the One who by His strength established the mountains, being girded with might, the One who steals the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at Your signs." You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and you water it. You greatly enrich it. And the river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow, and the hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks, and the valleys deck themselves with grain. And they all shout and sing together for joy. You can be seated this morning. And as you're seated, um, Ronnie Kimbrough, would you lead us in prayer this morning, please? Amen. 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 This week we um, celebrate a national day of thanksgiving. And um, there have been many proclamations over the years by our nation's leaders that um, have gave us the reasons behind um, celebrating a national day of thanksgiving. But some of those reasons include, they declare that it is our duty. And I'm quoting here. It is our duty to render to God sincere and humble thanks. We have a a duty to do that as human beings. It it also says that uh, Lincoln said we needed a day of thanksgiving because we are prone to forget the source from which all our blessings come. Would you agree with that? We're prone to forget the source from which all of our blessings come. And so, because it is our duty to worship and to praise and to give thanks to our Creator for for all that He is and all that He has done for us. We needed a national day to call us back together as a nation uh, to to fulfill our duty. At least, I know it's a daily thing that is our duty. It's a moment by moment. But at the same time, it's also good that, that our nation be called back together as a nation to be reminded that anything you have whatsoever is only because of the goodness and the grace of our benevolent God. And so we need a day. It's a beautiful thing, I believe. It's a day to acknowledge with gratitude for our blessings received, and it is a day to continue to ask that He would grant the blessings in which we stand in need of as well. Again, I'm quoting things from proclamations that have been made by our leaders over the years. It's a day to ask forgiveness for personal sins and national sins. So it's a day that we we stop and we ask forgiveness first and foremost for our personal sins, secondly for our national sins because the nation is made up of individuals. And so we begin first right here. And then we extend our asking of forgiveness for our nation as well. And I know that if we ever needed a time to ask forgiveness for our nation, is it not now? And so, again, I see so many great benefits to this day if we understand what it is for. It's a day to remind us that we have a duty to give thanks to the ruler of the universe and that to be reminded that everything that we have comes from Him. The very breath that you breathe, your very existence comes from Him. And it is our duty to acknowledge Him and to honor Him and give Him praise for what He has done for us. So today, I think you can notice that in Psalm 65 in verse 1, if you'll notice, the whole point of the psalm is laid out in the first five words of it. Praise is due to you. Some versions may say praise awaits you. Some versions may say, praise is silent before you. In other words, you deserve to be praised and we are here now to give you what you are due. And so this morning, I want to look at this psalm and I want to understand what it is. What are the reasons that this psalmist would give us? I can say the psalmist is David here because it tells us. What are the reasons that David would give us as people of God, to tell us that here is why it is your duty to praise God. Now notice the first thing he says in verse one, "Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. Now, we cannot expect the world to give God praise. The fact of the matter is, the problem with the world today, according to Romans chapter one verses 20ish somewhere around in there, he said that we refuse to honor and to give thanks to God. And instead of worshiping the Creator, we worship the created, the creation. We set our focus and our gaze on the images that were meant to portray the glory of God instead of focusing our worship and our praise and setting our gaze on the One who created it all. And that is the problem with us. That, that is probably one of the main roots of our sin. We don't want God. We want the world and all the things in the world. We want to be worshiped and served. We want everything to glorify and honor us. We, everything is about our happiness and our enjoyment. And that is a very big problem with the world today. So you can't expect the world to praise God, but praise is due God. So because it is due to Him, who can we expect to praise God? The church the ones that their eyes have been opened to who He is, the ones that have their hearts have been pricked to how we have sinned against Him and how we've refused Him the honor and the glory and the praise that He deserves. We are the very ones that have the duty and the obligation to give Him the praise that He is due. And so the first thing we see here is that praise is due to You, O God, first and foremost, and it's due to You if anywhere In Zion. Now Zion was the name of the city that actually became Jerusalem, but it is the city that was known as the place where God's people dwelt. And so that's why I I, I translate that today to say it also means the church, because the church is the place where God's people dwell. And so you could replace Zion here with the church. And then next it says to us, And to you, vows shall be performed. Now here's one of the things that we believe. that We believe that this psalm was possibly written after some great victory of some kind. The reason we say that is because if you notice in verse 2, he starts out, he says, O you who hear prayer. And so there was prayer that had been offered to God that had been heard. In verses 5 and 6, you see that He had answered. By awesome deeds, He answered. And then it gives the strength that He answered by. And, um, and then it also says in verse 7 at the end that He quieted or He stilled the tumult or the noise of the peoples. And so there again, some of the clues that we get in this psalm seem to indicate that there was some kind of a great, um, a great trial that was going on in this place and they were crying out to God. Now, one of the things that was common in this day was that whenever they were praying to God for something, they would offer up vows. You remember, uh, for those of you that have some basic biblical knowledge, there was a woman in the Old Testament named Hannah. And she so desired a child, but she couldn't have a child. And she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed, and she pleaded with God, God, if You will bless me with a child, with a male child... I will dedicate him to you. You remember that? And when the time came that she had the child, she fulfilled her vow and she went to the temple to take her child to the temple and vows were paid to God for what she had, for what she had prayed for. Now there are many other instances in the Bible where people would pray to God and in the process of it would offer a vow before God. Now let me say this. I'm not teaching you to do that this morning. The Bible also warns us against that, that it is better to not vow or say anything at all than it is to vow something and then not pay it. And so it is far better for you to just let your yes be yes and your no be no is the way that Christ put it. Now that is my teaching to you this morning. However, it was not uncommon for people to do this. I'm also not saying that it's a sin for you to do that because it's not. I'm just saying that wisdom from the Word of God teaches us that it's probably more wise for you as a sinful human being to just let your yes be yes and your no be no and you don't speak your vows to God unless you indeed understand that if you vow something, you have an obligation and a duty to pay that vow. And so he says here... Vows shall be performed to you. So, it is more than likely that these, that this congregation of people, this uh, nation of Israel, has seen a great deliverance of some kind, has seen Him answer prayer in some mighty way. And now they come before Him because there are two things that they understand. Number one, praise is due to you. And it's especially due to you in the house of God's people. Number two, Any vows that were made to you in the prayers that we gave that you answered, now is the time for these vows to be repaid. So, you see the kind of the context of what's happening in the psalm right here? Everybody with me? All right. Now, let's keep going down through here because the next thing we see throughout the psalm, after verse 1, we see there are three reasons why we are empowered through these reasons to give God the praise that is due Him. The first reason, I'm going to lay them out for you and then we'll go through them one at a time. Here's the first reason. It comes from verses 2 through 4. And the first reason is that God has great grace towards sinners like me. Let me say that again because if you're taking notes, you need to get that. The number one reason why praise is due to Him is because God gives great grace Toward sinners like me. And the only thing I ask you to do is put it in exact words. Don't write it down. God gives great grace to sinners like Pastor Kevin. You write it down like I said it. God gives great grace to sinners like me. That's the first reason from verses 2 through 4. The second reason comes from verses 5 through 8 and it's broken down into the next section. And all these sections are divided by a a break in the lines. If you're reading in your Bible, you should see that. But between verses 4 and 5, there comes a break. and verses 5 through 8, the second reason is God has awesome deeds in answered prayer. God, and you could say it like this, God performs awesome deeds in answered prayer. That's another reason why God deserves praise this morning. And then finally, the third reason comes from verses 9 through 13. God gives generous provision. God gives generous provision. Now let's take these one at a time and let's start with number 1, verses 2 through 4. God's great grace towards sinners like me. Let's look at this. In verse 2, notice the first thing that, that... that God does, who can pick it out? He hears prayers. He hears people like me. Here's the thing you need to understand. God listens to His children. Now you may look at that this morning and say, Wow, preacher, you just really blew my mind. But you need to understand something that you're not seeing. Right now, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible tells us that God sustains the entire world. Well, let's just read it. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Talking about Jesus here. And He is the exact imprint of His nature. And notice this next part. And He upholds what? So not just the world. He upholds the universe by what? The Word of His Power. Right now, as we sit on this giant blue ball spinning around in a circle, attached to nothing, right now, it is all being held together in all of its place by one thing the Word of His Power. Every star is exactly where it is supposed to be. The moon, the sun is exactly where they're supposed to be. Everything in creation is going exactly the way it is supposed to go for one reason, the Word of His power. And you need to understand something. Right now, while God holds the universe in place and all things are in motion by the Word of His power... And yet when any individual child of His stops and says, Oh God, you know what He does? He bows His ear to You. You know what that ought to make you sing this morning? Who am I that the God of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt? Who... Who am I that the God that holds all things in motion by the word of His power that I can say, Lord, I need you. And He stops and He listens and He hears. And yet how many of us take that for granted? We say, God, I got this one. You go ahead and keep holding all things. You got too much on your hands as it is, God. We've got this. We can handle this. And yet, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, Peter tells us that we should cast all of our anxieties and cares on Him. Why? Because the God that holds all things together by the Word of His power cares for you. Does that not blow your mind? If that don't blow your mind, there are two things wrong. You don't know who He is and you don't know who you are. God gives great grace to sinners like me when He hears me, when He listens to me. Notice in verse 3 where He goes next. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for my transgressions. In other words, when sin conquers me, <laughs> how many times do we do we fail God and we go, well, what reason does He have to forgive me this time? You know, I don't even know why I do this anymore. Anybody ever felt that way? Amen. I don't even know. I, I should just quit. I mean, I can't get this right. And yet... I love the way the author understands his sin condition. He says, iniquities many times prevail against me. I've been conquered by sin so many times in my life. And yet, notice what this author says next. And yet, you atone. You make the payment. You provide what is needed to cover all of my transgressions. Not I have to do it. Not I do this and I do that and then my sin is forgiven. No, when sin conquers me, because I know the kind of sinner I am, and yet when sin conquers me, you atone for all of my transgressions. You see all the author is doing here is he's laying out, God is due to you. Why? Well, <laughs> because I know the kind of sinner that I am. And I know how often sin conquers me. I know how often it prevails over me. And yet I know that every time the finished work of Jesus Christ has paid it all. When Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, you know what He meant? That's it. The work is finished. All the work that was required to cover the sin of those who put their faith and their trust in Him, it is finished. And when sin conquers me, and it breaks me, and it will for a child of God, it breaks you. And yet it should draw you back to your, to your praise to Him to say, God, praise is due you. Why? Because you atone for all of my transgressions for a sinner like me. You atone for it. You pay for it. I love the way that the Apostle Paul, it led him to praise too. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12-17, through 17, look at what this says. I thank God who has given me strength. This is Paul. Now, what does it mean when he thanks God? It means that praises do Him, right? I thank God. Well, Paul, why do you thank Him? Well, He's given me strength. Christ Jesus our Lord is the strength. And here's why. Because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, of Jesus Christ. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. With the, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. That's the only boast he's got here. The grace of God overflowed with the faith and love. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. And look at what he says next. But I receive mercy for this reason. Here's why he received mercy. That in me, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. And then verse 17... And here's where he leads to it. Now leave this verse on the screen because I want you to think about what Paul has said. Paul said, I don't deserve to be here. I was the worst of sinners. I persecuted the church. I was an insolent opponent to God. It wasn't just that I was a sinner. I was at war against what He was doing. I was killing His own people. I'm the foremost of sinners. But you need to understand something. He gave me mercy. He overflowed His grace in faith and love in Jesus Christ. And that's the only reason I have the strength and I'm here today and I have the ministry that I have. I've got no boast whatsoever except His mighty grace. And he says the reason He did it wasn't for me. He did it so that He might display His glory. His perfect patience, so that those who are to believe in Jesus would have an example to see. That if Jesus Christ came to save a sinner like Paul, guess what? He'll save a sinner like you. He'll save a sinner like you. And to those who are going to be called to believe, that's your example to see the love, the patience, the mercy of Christ, the grace of Jesus Christ. And when you see, that He atones for sinners like me. Sinners that were insolent opponents of Him. When you recognize that and when you see who you were and who you are, here is what it leads to. He ends with praise to the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me tell you something. This morning's praise is not just about coming in here and singing a song. Just because you come in here and sung a song, even though it was full of truth, that is not where praise comes from. Praise comes from the knowledge of who you are and who He is and what He has done. And when you understand that, what naturally flows from you is praise. This Thanksgiving, as we're called back to to give God the praise that He deserves, you need to focus on the great sinner that you are and the great God that He is and the great grace that He has given you. Not because of who you are. Not because of what you've done or even what you will do. But because of His glory and His great name's sake. And when you recognize that, all you will be able to do is say to Him, to the great King of all ages, the immortal one, the invisible one, the only God, the only thing I can say is to Him belongs all the honor and to Him belongs all the glory. That, my friends, is true thanksgiving. That, my friends, is true praise. How many times have we come in here and just went through our motions and through our routine and we've sung our songs and maybe even raised our hands and and maybe even said amen at the end of it or or maybe even shouted a hallelujah in the middle of it and yet none of it truly came from the knowledge of who He is and what He's done. That is the only thing that can lead to true praise is recognizing the great Sinner, the great forgiveness that God provides for us in our prevailing sin. Isaiah 53 verse 6 put it like this. <clears throat> he said, All we like sheep have gone astray. All of us fall into the category of being a great sinner. That's who you are. All right? All of us like she have gone astray. We have each turned everyone to his own way, but yet look what he did. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You got that next verse in there? That's okay. You don't have to go to it. My point's made with this one. He is the one that has atoned for the prevailing sin that conquered me. I can only take credit for the first part of this verse. He is the one who has done everything for the second part of this verse. The only reason I have forgiveness today is because the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Verse 4, the next great grace. i got to speed up to get through this this morning. The next great grace that we see towards sinners like me, notice he says, blessed is the one you choose. You know, this is a tough one this morning. It's not just that He has called you to just be forgiven of your sin and now you go your separate way. He chose you. He picked you out. Now we're going to look at some verses to prove this here in just a little bit. And I'm not trying to get into a debate this morning about the doctrine of election and and how God chooses and why God chooses. The Bible teaches that. That's not my point this morning. My point is just simply to show you one thing. That if you are called to be a Christian this morning, if your sins have been atoned for by the blood of Jesus Christ, it is only because of one reason. God chose you. Let me show you just a few scriptures to point this out to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 through 31. Paul made this very clear to the Corinthians. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame what is wise. God chose... notice how often this is repeated through this, okay? God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. And finally, here's why God chose and you didn't choose. God chose so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You will never stand, and keep that verse up there because this is where we'll end. You will, no, I'm sorry, the next one, Nathan. You will never stand before God and say, let me tell y'all why God chose me. God chose me because He saw that one day I would... Wrong. Well, God chose me because He knew that in my heart was actually... (laughs) Wrong. You know what's actually in your heart. Jeremiah said, there is nothing more evil and wicked than the human heart. He said, who can know it? Who can understand it? And if you know your own heart, you ought to know that. God did not choose you because you were going to be some great... God did not choose Paul because Paul would write the majority of the New Testament. No, Paul said, God chose me to display His perfect patience. That's why God chose me. God chose me for His glory's sake. That's it. And not only that, but because of Him, not you, because of God... You are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, and here's why, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast where? (laughs) Guys, this is important you understand this. You never need to rise to a position that you think, well, God chose me because He knew I would be so holy. That was the problem with the Pharisee that stood in front of the, the temple and said, Lord, thank you that I'm not like this sinner over here, this tax collector, this, this person that just can't get it right. No, but the tax collector got this. He understood this. And the only thing he could stay, he could stand in front of God with this. He couldn't even lift his face to, to heaven. only thing he could say is, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. That's all I bring to the table. So my only boast is in you, in the fact that you opened my eyes and you chose me. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 through 6. We'll go through these a little quicker. Even as he what chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Let me say this in, in country folk term. Before you was a twinkle in your daddy's eye. He chose you. Jeremiah was told, before you were in your mother's womb, I called you. I set you apart. I picked you out. I chose you. Before the foundation of the world, and He chose you that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love, He predestined us for adoption. Again, He didn't just choose you just to forgive you. He chose you to say, you are going to be my child. I'm going to take an insolent opponent, an enemy, and I'm going to bring them to sit at my table in my house. And nobody does that except God Almighty. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. And here's why. To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in Christ Jesus. The only thing that anyone will be able to say in heaven is, you want to see His grace? Go back and look at my life. Go back and look at me on this earth and the fact that He chose me and what He did for me. And the only thing I can show you is this is to the praise of His glorious grace. I take no boast. I take no credit for it whatsoever. Y'all see that? I'm not just pulling Scriptures out here to try to make something up that I want to be true. This is what the Bible teaches us. John chapter 15, verse 16. Just in case you're still confused, look what Jesus told His disciples. Somebody read it out for me. You did not choose me. Let me tell you something. If it was left up to you as a sinner to choose God, you know what kind of heart you have? I'm sorry to tell you this, guys. You didn't choose Him. He chose you. And He appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in My name, He may give it to you. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 8 and 9. But you, Israel, My servant Jacob, whom, what? I chose you. Out of all the peoples of the world, He picked out Abraham and Abraham's seed. Was it because Abraham was such a greater person than all the other people in the world? No, because Abraham was caught up in the same idolatry that all the rest of them was caught up in. But he caught him out of it. And he said, leave your house, leave your father's house, leave your people, leave all this behind and follow me and go to a place that I will show you. And Abraham said, I believe you. And by faith, Abraham followed. But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corner, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and have not cast you off. Look at Acts chapter 13 verse 48. We can do this all morning. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord... And as many as were appointed to eternal life, believed. You know why you believed if you believed? Because He chose you. He chose you. He picked you out. Now again, I'm not trying to get into a debate this morning about all the details of how that works out. I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to get you to stand in awe of the fact that God chose you. Our responsibility is not to decide who's chosen and who's not. The Bible tells us to preach the gospel to who? The whole world. Jesus is the one that said, My sheep know My voice and you know what they do? They'll come to Me. He said, I have sheep that are not of this fold of Israel and they must come in too. And they know my voice and they will hear me and they will come in. We need to understand something. I don't care right now about the details of how all that works. I only want you to just stand in awe for a minute that God would choose you. (laughs) Nick, God chose you. Bobby Powell, God chose you. (laughs) God chose me. Why didn't He choose everybody else? I, I don't know, but I can tell you this. He chose me. I didn't deserve it. Nobody deserves it. Everybody deserves to go to hell, but in His mercy, He chooses some. And He saves some. And all I can do is stand and give Him glory and praise and thanks at the fact that God chose me. Now look at this verse again in verse 4 of Psalm chapter 65. Blessed is the one you choose. And don't just choose, but you choose to bring near. You choose to dwell in your courts. You choose to be satisfied with the goodness of your house and the holiness of your temple. And so there again, you see very simply that He chooses us not just to just forgive us of our sins and say, okay, you're forgiven, go your way. No, He chooses you and then He says, you'll be mine. Come take part of all that I have and all that I am. Dwell in my courts and my beauty and my presence. Dwell in the goodness of my house. Dwell in the holiness of my temple. It is all yours. I choose you. And let me tell you something again. If that don't make you just stand in awe and say, Lord, who am I? There's two problems. You don't know who He is and you don't know who you are. Just a couple of scriptures to show you this. Second Samuel chapter seven, verse eighteen through twenty-two. Notice what the uh, what David said here in Second Samuel. Then King David King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, "What? Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far?" And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is the instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord. You know what he means when he says, you know your servant? You know who I am. You know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, You have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. And then finally in verse 22, Therefore, when you recognize this, this is always the end result. Remember, praise is doing, right? This is always the end result. Therefore, what does David do next? You are great, O Lord God. There is none like You. There is no God besides You according to all that we have heard with our ears. There's no one like you. That's where true praise comes from. Psalm chapter 8, verse 3 through 4. This is the last one I'll give you this morning. We've got to move on. Psalm chapter 8, verse 3 through 4. Let me pull that up. Listen to what this says When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, The moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? The great grace that God shows toward a sinner like me. And when you recognize that, it will always lead to praise. It will always lead to worship. And without recognizing this, it will never be true worship. It will never be worship that He demands in spirit and in truth. But this is where true worship comes from. Number two, God's awesome deeds and answered prayer. In verses 5 through 8, we'll go through this one quicker. So notice what He says in verse 5. By awesome deeds, You answer us. In other words, we pray to You and You answered by awesome deeds with righteousness. O God of our salvation, and notice some of the ways that 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 He describes God to understand His awesomeness, His power, His might, His strength. And it says next, "You are the hope of all the ends of the earth." So, not just—it's not just that you save us; you will save all who call upon your name. All the ones that call upon Your name shall be saved to the ends of the earth. And not just that, but of the farthest of seas. When we stand before God in heaven, there will be people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every race and nationality to the farthest seas, to the ends of the earth. And then in verse 6 it says, this is the One. You are the God. Remember, He answers by awesome deeds, right? You are the One who by your strength established the mountains. You set the mountains in place. Anybody in here tried to hook to a mountain and move it here lately? Can you do anything with it? He established it. That's the kind of strength that He has. Being girded with might. So, we're painting a picture here of the strength of God and the might of God. And then, verse 7, he steals the roaring of the seas. I want to give you a few, um, a, a few little uh, facts here. Did you know that one hurricane, just one, can produce as much energy as 10,000 nuclear bombs? Have you ever seen what the one nuclear bomb in Hiroshima did? Just one? but one hurricane produces more energy than 10,000 nuclear bombs. And yet God looks at it and says, be still. you know what it does? It's still. Did you also know that one hurricane produces enough energy, it produces actually 200 times more energy than the energy it takes, the power of the entire planet. One hurricane produces that much energy, 200 times more than all the energy that could power the entire planet. And yet God looks at that hurricane in its full strength and says, Peace. And that's it. Now you can begin to understand a little bit of the awe and wonder that the disciples were in when they were in that boat. And they said, Master, do you not care that we perish? And Jesus stood up and said, Peace be still. And it was peace. And the disciples looked back at Him and they said, or they looked at each other and they said, Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey Him? And the answer is, this is the God that answers prayer in the strength that it takes to establish mountains. This is the God that answers prayer in the power that it takes to calm a hurricane. This is the God that answers prayer for a sinner like me in awesome deeds. And we don't know what these deeds were, but it was fantastic. And then, and, and you know what our problem with that is? The Bible says you have not. Why? The truth of the matter is, most of us today wait to really pray to God until we are in our darkest moment, don't we? So the truth of the matter is, our prayer life, that's what the problem with the disciples was. Whenever they tried to, tried to cast out the evil spirit. Y'all remember that? They cast out the demon from the little boy. And they couldn't do it. They tried everything. They prayed over Him. They did everything they could. And Jesus walked down and said, hey, get out of him. He just left. And they looked at Jesus. They said, why could we not cast it out? You remember what Jesus said? This kind does not come out but by... In other words, the problem is not that you didn't pray, the problem is that you've not been living in a life of consistent prayer and because of that, you see no power of God. But when you live in a life of persistent prayer, you begin to see God answers, God hears, and God answers in powerful and awesome deeds. But sadly, our culture don't get to see much of that today and you have not because you ask not. That's the kind of deeds that our God is capable of. Let me finish it up. Verse 7. He steals the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the noise of the peoples, so that... Here's why He answers in awesome deeds. So that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in... All of your signs. He does it for His glory. He does it for His praise. And praise is due Him because of because of the way He answers prayer. And then finally, He is the one that makes the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. In other words, when the sun rises and the sun sets, it's like the sun is just coming up and going, Whoo! Here I am! Look at the God who made me. We was riding through town the other day, and Shirley, I don't remember what... I didn't even look at it for some reason, but she said, look at that sun," And I, I wasn't sure what she's talking about. I only know about one sun, So I'm like, that sun?" And she said, it's so big. It's so huge. And then I didn't even look at it. My response was just simply, think about the God that made that sun. Think about the God that made that sun." <clears throat> this is an awesome God that we serve, and He answers our prayer in awesome deeds. Finally... Verses 9-13, through God's generous provision. Notice how many times it says you in this, okay? And see how many times you see where it says we or I, okay? Verse 9, you visit the earth and you water it. You greatly enrich it. And now because He visits and because He waters it, look what else it does. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges. You soften it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. Who does it? God does it. Let me tell you something, if God don't visit the earth and God don't water the earth and God don't soften the ground with His showers and God don't bless its growth and God don't provide their grain and God don't water its furrows furrows abundantly, if God don't do that, verse 11, don't happen. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The psalmist is painting a picture here like like we're following God as He's going through the field in His wagon. And you know what's happening from His wagon as we follow Him? It's just overflowing into the pastures and into the fields. And He blesses generously. If you have grain at all, it's because God gave you grain. If you have a home to live in at all, it's because God gave you a home. If you have breath to breathe and a sun to shine on you and rain to fall on the ground to to make your crops grow, it is only because God visited the earth and God provided it for you. So why does David say that praise is due Him? Because I don't have anything, but everything I have is because of Him. Who am I? Who am I that you would bless me the way that you have? Verse 12, the pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. David says here, when I look out into the pastures, it looks like the wilderness is just overflowing into them. When I look out into the hills, it looks like they're just girded up like somebody put a belt around the bottom of them and they're just full of joy. When I look at the meadows, it looks like somebody took all the cattle and the sheep and it looks like the meadows just put a coat of many colors on. When I look out into the valleys, they're decked with grain. And it looks as if they're just shouting and singing together for joy. And so if the rocks cry out and the valleys cry out and the pastures cry out with shout- and the sun rises and sets with joy because praise is due Him and everything comes from Him and He is so generous in His provision for us, then we go back to verse 1. How do we respond to this? Praise is due. To you, O God, especially in the church. Praise is due to you. In closing, this week as you gather as a nation, you gather as a family, and you are reminded that praise and thanks is due to Him, there are three simple things that I want to ask you to remember. Take some time to stop and consider how great His grace is towards you. That He would hear you when you call. (laughs) That He chose you. That He made you His child to dwell with Him and be satisfied in His goodness and His holiness. Take some time to think about that and ask yourself the question, Who am I? Who am I that God would do that for me? Next, consider how He answers your prayers and stands in awe of His power and His might and and look at creation to see just how great and mighty He is. Consider His generous provision in your life. Think about the fact that if you have anything at all, it's just because it overflowed from His wagon. And He visited you. And He blessed you. And He gave you what you have. If you have breath to breathe, It's because He gave it. We don't deserve anything. And yet He graciously and generously crowns us with bounty. And most of us, much more than we need. That's the truth of it. If y'all would stand this morning. Praise is due Him. But how you respond to this message is between you and Him. Maybe this morning... You feel the call and the tug of God in your heart to know that you believe and you want to be saved. You want to be forgiven and your sin atoned for. And if that is you this morning, then let me tell you something, God chose you. God chose you and you're hearing His voice.